Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here. Going to do something a little different today, folks. Mike Morgan and I on the J.C. and Morgan podcast went into the weeds with the South Carolina search and some other topics. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with mailbag questions to answer galore, but I really wanted my audience for the Gamecocks to get this J.C. and Morgan in. So here you go. It's J.C. and Morgan all about the Gamecocks search. Welcome back. Welcome all. It is another installment of J.C. and Morgan. Glad you are with us. It is December of the worst year known to mankind. At least in our lifetime, 2020. These next uh, 29 days or so can't get by fast enough so we can celebrate the ultimate flush of toilet year that is 2020 and get on to another one. But you know what? We still have two things that we all know well and love, and that's college football and pepper-crusted bacon, of course, J.C. And uh, speaking of J.C., proper introduction, he is uh, the man with more in common than uh, with George Clooney than just stunning good looks. Both of you and I learned from George the other day, use a Floby. You haven't paid for a haircut in years. Both still use the Floby. I didn't know George Clooney was uh, pinching pennies on his haircut budget, but good for him, good for you, copying a little bit of your... Uh, your inner workings there. And I appreciate that. I think we all can appreciate George Clooney on some level. Oh, has he made a good movie in 10 years? I guess he's done something right anyway. Um, but uh, JC also of course has been busy on 24 seven sports and the big I've been busy in my own right. Uh, JC um, uh, working games, of course. And now we're at the threshold of no longer one sport. We're now kind of that weird, awkward crossover of football and basketball. And we, you know, we got a taste of what basketball is going to look like last night with no fans for uh, four blue bloods, Michigan state, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, everything's going to be strange, but there is some good news. by the way, that came down in terms of, um, COVID CDC, this is kind of an under-the-radar story, but I thought Ross Dellinger did a good job bringing it up, that they're now basically changing the mandatory or recommended, I should say, quarantine for people that contact trace with somebody who's testing positive from 14 days to seven. That's a big deal. Uh, And if the Big Ten really wants to take advantage of this, they can get off their original rules and try to salvage some games if they want here late. It's also going to salvage basketball in a lot of ways. You, you, you're basically now telling uh, the players that contract contact trace, you've got one week and that's all maybe even less with a negative test. Whereas before it was two weeks. So I won't get do go too far into that because I'm tired of talking COVID and we've got a lot of things to get to in a short amount of time. Um, we have two openings now in the SEC, South Carolina, which we've touched on, and Vanderbilt. I know you have been frenetically covering the South Carolina situation. Vanderbilt happened. Uh, it's a bizarre weekend for Vanderbilt. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you play a game and you get – it's a it's a it's another hapless performance by a team that's clearly shorthanded. I do like their quarterback. I think he actually, for the next coach, is something you can build on mm-hmm. for the next three years. But, um, you know, you have the, the, the squib kick heard worldwide uh, and all the attention and all the uh, talk show fodder that that produced. Oh, by the way, it was 
inadvertently, it just showed you how bad things have gotten with Derek Mason because they couldn't even get in field goal range. So that's why we're talking about a squib kick instead of a potential field goal or even extra point attempt. I'm just going to say one thing on Vandy, JC, and then we'll, we'll turn it back to that job in South Carolina. Um, I've done a number of Vandy games. I like Derek Mason. He's a personable guy. He's a fun guy. I think I thought the hire made sense when they made it. I think they thought they were getting James Franklin 2.0. He's not James Franklin. Never was. Um, that, that was, I get it, but it, but no, um, but the hire made sense. I mean, a successful defensive coordinator at that time, Stanford had it kind of rolling there since then that program's taking a dip under, under coach Shaw, who I thought would be, in the NFL by now, but you gotta, you gotta win more if you're going to attract a lot of uh, NFL teams for, as a college coach. But a lot of people say, well, why fire him now? First off, people were upset that rained on the, on the parade of uh, the young lady making history and why do it the next day? Well, look, you got a national signing day coming up in two weeks. They're less worried about, you know, having extra days to celebrate uh, the squib kick and more interested on how do we get Vanderbilt relevant again? The other thing is what I hear is, but what, yeah, but the, the team was, it's not Derek's fault. They've had a lot of COVID situation. They're, they're out, man. They're look last year, Vanderbilt had an NFL caliber running back, an NFL caliber wide receiver, an NFL caliber tight end, an NFL caliber defensive player or two. And they were not competitive. They were one and seven in the SEC and looked really bad in some losses. A lot of people thought Derek Mason should have, would have uh, gotten fired last year, especially if he was at any other SEC school not named Vanderbilt. So I, I, it's hard for me to sit here and say that Derek Mason didn't deserve to be fired. I mean, <laughs> Vanderbilt, even go back to, uh, you, you could say, well, James Franklin, that's the high water mark. And you know my opinion on that, JC, that it's not fair for a fan base to get their hopes up that the high water mark should be the norm. Well, Bobby Johnson did a better job than Derek Mason at Vanderbilt, the former Furman coach. So it, it was time. Something had to be done. And if you're Vanderbilt and you want to prove that you're serious about football, number one, you had to make a change. And number two, you obviously, and this is from alums like Jordan Rogers and straight on down the list, you've got to put some money into facilities. You just, you, you just have to with all the money that, that that Vanderbilt is able to procure. Your thoughts on Vandy? Yeah, I mean, they've got a gigantic – I mean, it, that, that's not a school that's lacking for money. They just don't invest, and they – you know, they, they sort of make some weird personnel decisions um, every now and then, you know, with the athletic director uh, position being eliminated. They eliminated their SID. Um, it just seems like the academic leadership at that university tends to toy with athletics – uh, with the exception of baseball, which is also a very unique program in a lot of ways. On the other end, people want to know why they're able to win national championships at Vanderbilt in baseball. It's not because it's a, uh, you know, traditional baseball power or anything, and no offense to Tim Corbin, but when you have the best players and your scholarships are worth more than everybody else's, um, you're going to win some games. And and they are at Vandy because they're able to give – academic scholarships at a school that taught cost a ton of money to go to uh, and pair that with, you know, playing baseball there. And the rest of the schools are kind of beholden to like Pell grants and, and in-state, uh, you know, money, uh, lottery money and things like that, the state supported schools. So everything about Vanderbilt athletics is weird. <clears throat> all, all down to the fact too, Mike, 
They had two NBA draft picks on a basketball team that over the course of two years went, what, three and 32 in the SEC? Yeah. Uh, You know, with, uh, you know, uh, Coach Clapper, uh, I forget his name. The, 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 um, yeah, Drew, the Clapper, because he just clapped, didn't do much coaching. And then Stackhouse comes in and finally starts getting something out of him toward the end of last year. Uh, But, you know, you look at the draft and, you know, there's Naismith and Saban Lee going in the, <laughs> in the, in the, in the NBA draft, you know, um, uh, you know, I've never been a getting back to Both football. Both of those were clapper recruits, by the way. Yeah. yeah the, the clapper could recruit. Yeah. He recruited really well. Yeah. Um, going back to, and he clapped and he <laughs> lost, <laughs> um, going back to, uh, you know, Mason, I, I thought the first red flag with me, cause I was living in Nashville with the time at the time. And I got to know James Franklin a little bit, really charismatic guy. And, you know, certainly, you know, what he did there speaks for himself. He, he didn't inherit a terrible roster though, because Bobby Johnson had recruited well, evaluated well and red shirted a lot of guys. So it's kind of like wake force with Jim Grobe um, and how they built that thing. But Franklin, you know, came in and was the beneficiary because we remember Bobby Johnson retires and then it, there was the whole year of Robbie Caldwell, you know, being the uh, the interim, and that was a disaster. And then and then they hired Franklin. So so you know he, he he got the absolute most out of it. And then he left some players behind because he was recruiting pretty well for Vandy. And when Derek Mason comes in, you know, I remember looking back, and you, you know, you see the schemes that Franklin likes to run. You know, it's kind of a a diverse offense with you know, they can run option they can run spread they can do this and mason comes in inheriting the players that, that franklin recruited and and puts in this pro style offense that was going nowhere and, and, and makes the defense even more complicated than it was wanting to run what they ran at stanford ran at stanford and he proceeds to go zero and eight in the sec i predicted that and I got called out by this group of four Vandy fans uh, about it. They just like, there's no way Derek Mason's going 0 and 8. I predicted it. Uh, shockingly enough, he turns it around. And what saved him is Vanderbilt's won like three, four out of six against Tennessee, four out of seven against Tennessee. And he beat Tennessee three years in a row. <laughs> and, and that's been the best thing he's done. Yeah. Um, now, now I, 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 I'm one of these that, you know, I'm with you. They were bad last year. They probably should have fired him last year, but, but I do agree that he, of all the schools, they had the worst COVID issues of anybody, unlike South Carolina, which had essentially none. Um, Vanderbilt was, was gutted and you can tell, you can tell. And what was surprising to me was, you know, that they played really well against Kentucky and, and Mississippi state and almost won. And then and A&M. And A&M and A&M yeah. that was came down to the final five minutes. They've had some games where they've played pretty well. And, you know, so, so it did surprise me um, on top of it, but it, you know, Derek Mason also did not have great luck. I think at Vandy, um, you know, just with, with, you know, from following Franklin to personnel to key injuries to never being able to decide on coordinators, um, things just didn't go well. And, and you could tell it wasn't going well. And, and so the ending is, is sort of uh, similar to the beginning. You know, I remember him sitting there at, at SEC Media Days, the confident young guy that he is, and 
comparing himself to Nick Saban and Steve Spurrier, uh, you know, and, and I remember him sitting there saying that with the bow tie on and all that, you know, and yeah. and he's that same confident guy right until the end. And um, I, I don't think we've heard the last of Derek either. I think, I think somebody will hire him as a coordinator somewhere. Oh, no and, and he'll, he uh, yeah, and, and he'll resurface. He may not even be done as, as it relates to the SEC, but you know, I, I, like I said, I've never been in favor of that hire. I've always thought they were they're trying to kind of force a square peg into a round hole because I don't think you can make I know, it's tempting to make Vandy Stanford, but you really need to make him like Duke, you know, where where you've got a guy that can just coach, 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 and maximize. Whereas at Stanford, what they would do, Mike, was they would just go sign all the smart kids in the country, and half of those kids they're beating Notre Dame and Michigan on. So so they have talent. Stanford has talent. You know, Vandy, they weren't, it wasn't realistic that they were going to be able to do that, especially the SEC. Um, but, but at the same time, I, I am sympathetic and empathetic to how it ended, you know, especially with the Sarah Fuller situation. I mean, I'm like, wow, you know, and, and, and then the, the SEC gives her special teams players of the week, um, you know, and, and they get shut out. And, uh, you know, she kicks off and, and she's telling the team to, to do better. And they need to cheer harder. Or that, whatever that story hasn't yeah. gotten enough light. Yeah, I know. It's like, yeah, these guys need to just cheer harder. <laughs> and and then poor Derek Mason gets fired. I'm like, oh man, yeah. this is that's just that's tw- that's the epic. That's the that's the uh, most epic 2020 story there is ever. That, if that's going to happen in 2020, I mean, could could you imagine if like because one thing about Vanderbilt, and just like I would say about South Carolina, like because we all know the. Now more than ever, the wheel, when the wheels come off, you, you you can have a situation where you can have mutiny on your hands and yes. you can have kids quit or we, now we call them opt outs. But I mean, quit or some will they'll, they won't quit, but their attitude and their effort on the field basically quits. Uh, I never sensed that with Vanderbilt. They, they played hard all year. Uh, they they played. I think they like Derek Mason. I think Derek Mason's a a player's coach in a lot of ways. They liked him, but could you imagine if like you're one of those offensive or defensive linemen and you're outmatched on every play, you're undersized, you're going up against the best that college football has to offer. And here comes this girl from the soccer team uh, to, to come out and provide a squib kick. And she's telling you, you need to do, but you have need to have a better attitude during a halftime speech. Now, I don't know how many of these reports are true about, some players took so that really rubbed them the wrong way that they actually threatened to leave. Um, their little damage control done by uh, our old buddy Todd Fitch there, uh, trying to keep everything under wraps, just get this final game in. And, and hopefully, look, I'll be pulling for her. I hope she does. This is the only thing that, that, that Vanderbilt has going for it right now from a storyline standpoint. Get her out there and kick, kick something. Let's get three on the board, babe. Woo! Get, get three on the board. Um, I don't – to ask Vandy to score a touchdown at this point might be too much. Again, I like their quarterback, and I actually like one of their receivers. Um, but they don't have the talent that they did. Last year was the year to do it. Last year was the year, and they they floundered. And so Derek winds up 27-54 and 54 at Vanderbilt, 0-2 in the two bowl games. And, again, much of that time is when you had – Florida down, Tennessee down, South Carolina down. I mean, it wasn't a great Eastern division during uh, much mm. of Derek's tenure. 
and it, it just didn't work. And I, again, I've heard people say, well, until you, the facilities are better. Those facilities were just as bad when Bobby Johnson was winning games. They were, they were just as bad when James Franklin put two nine win seasons back to back. I'm not saying they don't need to improve it. They do, but you could do better than 27 and 54. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I would bet on whoever the next guy is. And we've seen the list of names. I don't want to do a deep dive on who the next Vandy coach is going to be. Um, I'll but, tell you. I'll tell you right now who they should hire. Notre Dame defensive coordinator. Well, that would be the. I'd, I'd go with him first because he's got connections and all that. And he's well liked, and I think he could help recruit. Nashville has a lot of good private schools that have good high school football programs. Then you can kind of create a pipeline to there, and he's a guy that I think could kind of get done. But no, I'd I'd go to the United States Military Academy, and I would hire Jeff Mocken. And run the triple option. I, look, man, I'm telling you, because <laughs> I mean, look, oh, at, at every other school in the league, you're like, well, and, and I and I see the hot board on Vandy two four seven, and they're like, well, the triple option may limit the recruiting. Man, you're already limited in the recruiting. I mean, yeah. it's it's not like Georgia Tech where yeah, it's a little hard to get in, but it's not nearly it's not anything like Vandy. Uh, and Georgia Tech has a rich football tradition, and Paul Johnson sucked the life out of it gradually, like a like a leech on a turnip for ten years, and and then you're a five year rebuild. Man, if it doesn't work, you're a five year rebuild anyway. I mean, you know, you're just yeah. that far behind. And I think the the thing about the Vandy kids and the culture that both you know really since Johnson. Really going back to Wiedenhofer in some ways, but really you notice it since Johnson and then Franklin and Mason, those kids almost always do play hard, okay? They are not tactically – the the tactical ability of their coaches as it relates to their talent versus the teams they're playing, they are not able to win even if they play really, really hard because of that. And it's unrealistic to think – that it's ever going to go back to that those nine win deals where they really weren't all that talented. I mean, you had some guys that you picked up here and there, which they always will. Why not commit to a system? And then all of a sudden, every week in the SEC, you're scaring the bejesus out of everybody. I mean, you know, you remember Georgia Tech? They'd hang in the balance. Sure, they they'd play Georgia Southern at home and only win by three. But but then they turn around and play Florida State when they were rolling and go down there and win by seven. You know, I mean, it's just it, they just hung in the balance all the time. You can always find good dual threat option quarterbacks. You can always find guys that are blue collar overachievers that want to play in that system. And and, and then Vandy, I think over the years since Weidenhofer, you've shown that some years you know they're able to put a good defense on the field. Um, and, and so I think for those reasons, Jeff Mocken. Bring the triple option on down, and uh, and bring it to the SEC. I, I think every other school in the league is like, no, don't be. Well, you know, so are so are SEC broadcasters right now. I'm I'm hoping you're wrong on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but it's I mean, uh, I've, I've done games with Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech and. Uh, who's it? Did Wofford run some of that offense? Wofford ran it. Uh, I, I don't want to see any part of the triple option. I mean, the, the, the military schools run it pretty well, but well, it's, yeah, um, yeah. No, no, I had Navy last year against Houston and they ran the hell out of it, but, yeah. but actually their quarterback, Malcolm Perry, who was a legitimate Heisman candidate, 
he learned how to throw the ball down the field and he they did with the big pass play. Um, look, I think it's great for the, for the military academies. I don't want to see it in the SEC. You've got a quarterback where if you, if you do that, you, you say goodbye to Ken Seals. I'm not trying to overhype the kid, but, but he is a legitimate, you know, who you're right. Right now, this is another, I hate to say it, knock on Derek Mason. I mean, they had an NFL quarterback, Kyle Shermer, Pat Shermer's son is in the NFL right now. Oh yeah. He was good. You know, in addition to everything else I mentioned from last year, an NFL running back, tight end, wide receiver, that NFL guys on defense during Derek's run, he had an NFL quarterback and they had multiple, it seems like they fired offensive and defensive coordinator every six months at Vandy. Yeah. Um, it never worked out that well. He didn't play that well, but, uh, but I do believe they've got their quarterback for the future. And if you've got a quarterback in college football, then you got to just surround them by enough good players. Vandy's always going to have holes, right? They've proven that they can, they can get the occasional NFL guy. They, they have, if you, I bet if we went and looked at NFL.com or something, if we included practice squads, Vanderbilt might have like 10 guys in the league. They, they have been, and all those obviously would be fairly recent. They've, they've been able to get guys that are NFL caliber here and there. You know, a couple on defense, a wide receiver, a running back every few years. What they haven't been able to do is just plug up the holes to where SEC teams are well coached and obviously have a lot of talent and they exploit those holes. And no matter who the coach is, that's going to be reality. But they can do better than what they've done. And that's why there's a change. And, you know, we'll see who who Vandy hires. And, you know, you've got. You've got a new AD who's a former women's basketball player. We, we have no idea. I was reading some of what she's looking for. She says all the right things. I have no idea what her um, background is on, on something like this. Uh, she'll probably, like everybody else does, hire a search committee, come up with a list of names, and, and see where it goes. But the, the one thing about the Vandy job, and I hate to say this, uh, but if you're South Carolina – and even if, if the world fell upside down and Tennessee and or Auburn made a change this year in the SEC, you're not competing with Vanderbilt, okay? Because the coaches know that is the, an extremely difficult job. Uh, and even though the expectations aren't extremely high, as Derek Mason can tell you, you can still get fired if you don't win in Nashville. South Carolina opening is a different deal. And, and I know that you have been working feverishly on this uh, it seems like the names that keep surfacing are Shane Beamer and Billy Napier, both of whom have ties uh, to the state, uh, one with Clemson and Furman and one just with being an assistant in South Carolina. Uh, I'll let you take it from there. And then I've, I've got a number of thoughts, including a theory of mine on why Steve Spurrier's success and his failures at South Carolina made this a, a less attractive job because I think some people at South Carolina and, and, and you and I know that fan base very well. Uh, it, it, there's a little bit of a Tennessee syndrome where you just assume that, that that is a destination job that everybody wants because you can say, just like Tennessee can say, we're in the sec. We got a big stadium. we got a lot of money. We got great fans. Uh, in the case of Tennessee, you can point to a national title, not that long ago, and so the the assumption is that oh man we we we're gonna we're gonna get this huge name or we're gonna get the the great hot coach at a power five school who's gonna want to leave where he is in order to come here we're gonna Matt Campbell's gonna be 
crawling on his hands and knees to take the South Carolina job. This is what Tennessee went through a few years ago when they thought everybody from John Gruden to Bob Stoops and everybody in between all wanted the Tennessee job. Um, nowadays, all these Power Five schools have money because they all have TV deals. They're all paying their coach. I mean, almost every Power Five school is paying their coach over $3 million a year now. That's become like the floor. Yeah. Most of them. Not all of them, but most. So um, with that being said, I'll get deeper into that, but I want you to tell us the latest on what you yeah. I think, uh, you know, today we broke the news that Billy Napier is going to interview for the job. That kind of changes some things because he was kind of behind the scenes. You heard he was losing traction. He's had COVID, number one. And number two, his team has a pretty big game against App State Friday night. So, you know, that that could be a logistic thing. But, you know, from the start, Mike, with this job, you know, we've said it, even talked about it last November – Scott Satterfield, Billy Napier, Shane Beamer. Those are the three names I thought, number one, were the best choices out of the most realistic pool. You know, if you can go get Matt Campbell, great. You know, and if Matt Campbell had gone six and four again this year, you know, with South Carolina being a big SEC job open, maybe he thinks he's hit a ceiling at Iowa State, but that dude's about to play for the Big 12 championship, and he's going to have, like, Texas and Michigan and everybody else knocking down his door. You know, um, I thought those three were the the fit, and, and lo and behold, here at the end of the process, you know, those are the three guys that uh, allegedly want the job. Uh, and Ray Tanner, the athletic director of Carolina, has, has, has you know, pick one. I mean, that's that's how that's that's the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, this has never been a Lou Holt. There's never been a Lou Holt, Steve Spurrier type of hire out there. I didn't think South Carolina would hire Hugh Freeze. I didn't know that Hugh Freeze was interested in South Carolina. You know, that was probably DOA with some people. But but listen to this. All right, so just in the SEC, and we talk about this a lot, Florida, uh, they did hire a sitting Power 5 coach, Dan Mullen, but he was the third choice behind Chip Kelly and Scott Frost. The two hires before that were the Colorado State head coach and the Texas defensive coordinator with no coaching experience. Georgia hired the Alabama D.C. with no head coaching experience. He was an alum. Missouri hired the App State head coach who was only there one year, one with somebody else's players prior to that, NC State O.C. Kentucky hired the Florida State defensive coordinator with no head coaching experience. Vanderbilt just fired the Stanford defensive coordinator with no head coaching experience. Before that, they hired the Maryland offensive coordinator who did not call plays because he worked for Ralph Friedgen. Tennessee, after an exhaustive search last time, uh, hired the Alabama defensive coordinator with no head coaching experience. So five schools in the division hired coordinators with no head coaching experience. One hired a guy from App State that won with Satterfield's plays. The other guy hired uh, Mullen that was their third choice. All right, A&M, no, people don't understand that. They think that was, that was a great hire by A&M, but they had to pay $75 million guaranteed with Jimbo Fisher begging to get out of Florida State. That's how hard that was. Yep. You know, it, yeah, he, we've all read ESPN.com's documented how the Fisher situation turned into just totally toxic at FSU, and A&M still had to guarantee him $75 million in 10 years. He gets it whether he wins a game or not. Ole Miss hired the Florida Atlantic head coach who had been fired before from a Power 5 job. Mike, um, and Mississippi – fired from – Yeah, and the NFL fired twice. Uh, Mississippi State hired the Washington State head coach who would have taken any SEC job except Vandy because he wanted to go back to the league so bad. 
Arkansas hired the Georgia offensive line coach. Okay. The most uncelebrated SEC hire, <laughs> not named Vanderbilt in quite some time. Yeah. And then, and, and he's probably, he's, he's, he's a coach of the year candidate, you know, <laughs> Bama hired Nick Saban, but you know, after Nick Saban turned him down, Steve Spurrier turned him down, Rich Rodriguez turned him down. Then they circled back and got Saban Auburn's last two coaches, the Arkansas state head coach who had been there a year, and was a former assistant. Prior to that, they hired the guy from Iowa State that was 5-19 and 19 at Iowa State, and he won a national championship and then got fired. LSU promoted their defensive line coach, who was the interim. You know, so in that division, there's more guys with Power 5 experience, but, but outside of Fisher and Saban, there were no perfect resumes. Leach hadn't coached in the league since 97 and was in Pullman, Washington. So, so, so you tell me, you know, so you get to South Carolina and, and you've got your three realistic guys. Last time the realistic guys were Tom Herman, sort of realistic. Uh, Ray Tanner tried Kirby Smart, who was, very, who was taking the job before Georgia came open. And then it got into Muschamp and Rodriguez and some other guys like that. Uh, and, and, I, and I'll give you the other names that were in the mix. I know there was, there was they, they interviewed Lincoln Riley, okay? Mm-hmm. So if they'd have gotten Lincoln Riley – and he'd have taken over that roster instead of Oklahoma. You know, I don't know that the success would have been the same, but maybe that works out. Maybe it doesn't. But the other guys were Troy Calhoun, Willie Taggart, Greg Schiano, and Rodriguez, besides Will Muschamp. I mean, it, that, that search did get in the weeds. This one's not. This one's like you, you saw the three guys, you know, and, and I know that Beamer doesn't have coaching experience, but he was always going to be in the mix and always getting an interview and has a ton of support. Uh, and, but you, you saw the three guys at the start, and here we are at the end, and South Carolina's going to have to make a decision with those three guys. And, and I think it's probably 45 Beamer, 45 Napier, 10 Satterfield, because there's some reasons there why they don't really want to pull the trigger on Satterfield. But, uh, you know, when you talk about that, I, uh, you know, I, I don't see how this coaching search has gone off the rails at all. In fact, I think South Carolina's handled it pretty well. Uh, when you're talking about how SEC coaching searches are normally handled, that you don't you don't see a Jimbo Fisher deal all the time or a Nick Saban deal all the time. It doesn't all. It rarely works out that way. Those are fairy tale type deals when you t- it comes to coaching search. Most of the time, you have the fairy tale candidates. And you end up with the guy from Colorado State or whatever. Right. Uh, ex- ex- exceptional research, and um, it plays into multiple points I've been making on this front for years. Uh, it applies to South Carolina. It applies to most schools, most fan bases. I don't think most fan bases totally understand what with ADs do. I've made the analogy before. They think it's like a general manager of a pro team where they're in charge of the draft and help decide who makes the first round draft pick. Uh, or, or some people think the AD, it's like they're going to have a 1960s style Mad Men martini lunch. And after a few too many, you, you're able to get that guy who otherwise doesn't really want the job, but you can sway him with your incredible charm uh, and, and, a, and a steak meal in downtown Manhattan. The fact of the matter is all these guys are operating on the same scale. Most of them have the same agent in the SEC, Jimmy Sexton, who I believe represents 11 out of 14 schools uh, or schools coaches, I should say. 
Uh, the fact of the matter is they already know what jobs they're really interested in and not interested in. It has nothing to do with the athletic director. Not a damn thing. They <laughs> Steve Spurrier didn't go to South Carolina because of Mike McGee's incredible charm. Steve Spurrier wanted back in the SEC. He had just gotten a ton of money from Bill uh, uh, Bruce Snyder. Daniel um, Snyder. Uh, uh, Dan Snyder, thank you. Yeah, Bruce. Bruce was the head coach at Cal and Arizona right. State. <laughs> leave it for me. Leave it to me to have a Freudian slip of a college football coach. Um, uh, but but so Steve walked away from that deal for like twenty five million, which was huge money at the time. So he you you were South Carolina. He wasn't worried about money. He just wanted a job that made him happy. He wanted South Carolina. He was going there. If you and I were the athletic director. Yeah, okay. Well, Mike, Mike, JC, good to be here. Really am excited. I have a hard bargain, but I'm taking the job. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know. I really don't really understand your sales pitch there, but but I like the job because I know I can go there and I can become the most winningest coach in the history of program and and and, and turn something around and, and put my name on another stadium like I Easily. did in Florida and yeah. like I did a few. And that's Easily. exactly what he did. Um, five years ago, the pool was not good. You documented it perfectly. Uh, you go after Tom, Tom Herman. And I tweeted this today. Tom Herman wasn't just the candidate of the year. Tom Herman was the most can't miss celebrated candidate of the decade when he wound up going to Texas. Everybody wanted him and he knew he was going to get offered Texas. So as, as much as Ray did his best to charm and everything else uh, and who could blame him for going after Tom Herman, uh, Tom Herman knew there, there was going to be a so-called better opportunity. And we'll get to Texas later. Hmm. But Tom Herman was the, uh, you know, I, I could use all kinds of drafting. He was the Bryce Harper. A lot of people, scouts will tell you, they never saw a guy like Bryce Harper in their 30 years or Steven Strasburg. Well, Tom Herman had that kind of shine on him. And it's failed in Austin. He's probably going to get fired. But he's, still, he's still 52 and 22 as a head coach. I know, like, but you, but again, at the least resistance, what do I always say? And I, I, I don't know that Texas is still there. I mean, I looked it up the other day, Mike, and not many people will admit this. They have two Big 12 championships in 24 years. Yeah. Now, there's there's clearly a problem there. Yeah. I mean, we talked to Tom Luganville about it. He believes the biggest thing that's missing is, is D-line recruits. Uh, I, I think there's a cultural issue that goes all the way back to the tail end of Mac Brown uh, that, that it per- proceeded to get worse under Charlie Strong, got better a little bit under Tom Herman, but not good enough for that fan base. You could make the same analogy uh, at, at Southern Cal, which, uh, you know, at, after Pete Carroll got landed them on probation after those glory years, it's been a long time coming since Southern Cal was relevant. You look at Florida State, that started turning sour when Jimbo was still the coach, got worse under Willie Taggart, and now Mike Norvell is there and looks like a guy who doesn't want to play coach football games. And it just so happens in the year of COVID, they've been able to avoid such football games. And you take a look at Michigan, and they got the ultimate dream candidate. This was Camelot, yeah. Jim Harbaugh coming back to Michigan, Lord. and it is clearly failing. And you off the rails. It's off the rails right now. Off the rails. And, and this is where we used to do a segment on this podcast, Hits and Misses. You and I and most of America missed. I thought this couldn't lose. It has lost, and it's only getting worse. So I just named for you four premier programs. 
that are a disaster right now. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and accessible Exceptional service. Call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. Founders is offering a low-rate mortgage with up to 4000 in closing costs to full-time hospital employees. Honoring your frontline efforts against COVID-19. With no PMI, no origination fee, and no limit on the loan amount, you can't go wrong. Visit founders.com slash HEC and apply for your hospital employee choice mortgage today. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Institution NMLS identifier number 410646. Founders is an equal housing lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. I've got two more I'm going to throw out at you just in terms of coaches and we talked about this, and, you know, I, I sort of bragged about it because Scott Frost, you know, took Nebraska over Florida. And, and I knew I knew he wouldn't – you know, it was going to take some time to get the Huskers going, but I didn't think it would be four – you know, multiple four-win seasons time. I, I thought it was I – thought, I thought they'd be competitive in that division with Wisconsin right away. I mean, yeah, yeah. maybe they get their brains beat in by the Badgers every year, but, uh, you know, it's Nebraska football. They, they've actually gotten worse in a lot of ways. And uh, and then don't even get me started on UCLA, um, which you know. But Jim, they have been that. That's been an issue for a long. They, they don't spend money. They don't have the. Like I don't even put UCLA in that same category. I, I, but I do because they're starting to spend money. They built a, a, a like a seventy five million dollar uh, football building, right? Because they're notoriously cheap, and they're losing money now. And they lost their Under Armour deal, so they're in the they're in the red bad. Yeah. But I read this story the other day. Chip Kelly, he's you know he's eight and twenty or whatever, and and I, I, I you know Jim Mora Jr. didn't win big there, but he would he would go from like five and seven to eight and five. They were normally a bowl team. Even Carl Durrell, who ironically now has the Colorado job, won some years there. You know they hadn't really won since Terry Donahue, Donahue, but they've had good years. They've recruited well. So it's Chip Kelly. You know, it's like Spurrier to South Carolina. You're like, nope. yeah, they'll they'll win seven, eight, nine games, and they're eight and twenty. And then I read, uh, a, uh, I guess Sports Illustrated or some had a big expose that on non-travel meals. This means the meals that uh, you know the, the players eat when they're just working out near the facility, day to day basis kind of meals, not when they're on the road. Chip Kelly's program spent four point five million dollars last year. <laughs> On nutrition, on 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 you know not on on um on meals, yeah, yeah. And, and it was things like they bought four hundred peanut butter and jelly sandwiches from a swanky Beverly Hills bakery for eight dollars a piece. Right, right, right. They're serving rack of lamb, yeah. um, all this other stuff. By comparison, LSU and you know SEC schools spend the dough. Right. LSU's non-travel meal budget for the national championship was three hundred and eighty thousand. Right, right. <laughs> 
Well, so, I see so, where you're going. They so, are so they're finally spending money. It's just spending this, money, but it, that's a 2020 kind of story there because you're like, well, how, yeah. how, how is Chip Kelly eight and twenty? They don't win. They're worse than they were under Mora. You know, he turned he turned down the Florida job to take UCLA, and he spends three point five million dollars in a year on rack of lamb for their players. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and to give you an idea of the randomness of all this, and this is the other thing I continue to say, it, you can get the smartest AD in the world, all buttoned up, coming in, custom-made suit from Brent Skinner at bpskinnerclothiers.com if he wants to look his best. Um, mention my name and you'll get a free time. You can, you can have that guy, and he's got 20 years of administrative experience, and he comes in there and he's got a cocky look on his face like, oh, I got this. I know who to hire because I'm an AD. I'm a big time AD. Look at all my AD experience. Look at my associate AD experience. I started in the ticket department. I worked my way up. I got connections. I got respect. It's a crapshoot. Dan Mullen was the third choice. You mentioned Chip Kelly. They wanted Scott Frost. They wound up on Dan Mullen, and clearly it was the right guy. We just talked about Michigan, Southern Cal, Texas, UCLA, Florida State, how that's working out. Uh, one of the uh, newspaper guys in uh, South Carolina, I won't say stole, but borrowed my analogy of Jeremy Foley, one of the most celebrated ADs in the SEC in our lifetime. He made three colossal failure hires in football during his time in Gainesville, remember he didn't hire Spurrier. He inherited Spurrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he hired Will Muschamp, Ron Zook and Jim McElwain. Okay. Three catastrophic hires for a program that shouldn't have to make catastrophic. Hires. It's a crapshoot people. Mm-hmm. You think that the AD, like you're going to find this brilliant AD and he's going to nail them all. It's not the way it works. I, I remember, I remember the day when, um, when Vince Dooley got forced out of Georgia for Damon Evans, and then Damon Damon Evans was a disaster, and now he's the AD at Maryland, and yeah. uh, probably should have gotten fired over the the situation up there with football. But you know, he he the only thing he did at Georgia, he was supposed to be this hot shot AD and take Georgia into the next realm. The only thing he did was make Mark Rick's job harder because he demanded that Georgia start playing these games. Like they played at Colorado, they played home and home with Colorado, okay. home and home with Okie State, home and home with Arizona State. And yeah, great trips for fans and all that. But when you're in the SEC, you know that, that's kind of you know, and you got to play Georgia Tech too. That that's not that's that's hurting your coach. And then he made you know, uh, he had a Dennis Felton was a, not a good hire in basketball, and I think. I think he hired maybe hired Mark Fox too, but I, I don't know. But he, he was awful. I mean, sure and got did. forced out. So th- yeah. that's what I got to say to people: be careful what you. I mean, there's be a reason. Wish for there, there's a reason Philip Former is the, the AD at Tennessee right yeah. now. Yeah. Say what you want, but you know this guy, hot shot from K State, returns. Oh, John Curry. He you know he he fired Butch Jones, and he's going to make an outstanding hire. And then you see not only. The people turn that thing down. They turn it down publicly, and and he probably did get stabbed in the back by one Philip Fulmer, uh, as as we all know that happens sometimes in Knoxville. You get if you mess up, you get shanked by the by by, by Fulmer. Uh, Johnny Majors knows a little bit about that, but um, and he got he ended up getting shanked, and and and, and like three coaches before the final straw when he went to try to hire Leach. 
and, and he ultimately everybody predicted it. Like like when like I guess Dave Dorn was the seventh coach that turned it down right after that, that was Jeff. a disaster upon all that was one of our most listened to pods wow you, we we ought to bring mr curry back because we had record number whatever the, <laughs> the number of thousands we averaged per week I think oh it was doubled during the okay. Tennessee. mike we, we 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 were recording that day and jeff brom and Dave Dorn turned the job down like while we were recording. Yes. <laughs> and, and at that point, I think I said something like Philip Fulmer's going to shank him. And then two more guys turned down the job. Like Mike, Gun- Mike Gundy turned it down for a second time. Uh, and then he went to hire Leach, and then that was it. Cut the cord. And, and then, and then the, the, the final capper on all that is Phil Fulmer. To, to, now, because there's a lot of fans – that feel like, well, yeah, no, what you really need is a football guy, a guy that knows the game, a guy who's been in the trenches to make this kind of signature hire. Phil Fulmer takes the job against Jeremy Pruitt, and now that fan base wants him out in the worst way. He already got a, 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 a an extension, and that's another thing. We need, to, we need to teach a class on, folks, you have to give coaches extensions when they have an even remotely successful year in the SEC, you, you don't, you don't sweat $15 million buyout, $10 million buyout. That that's just, now that might change post COVID. I get it. But, but I, I don't, it's not your money per se. <laughs> Even if you give to your particular university, I wouldn't get all caught up in, in what the, uh, the buyouts are. I would get caught up in what the hire is. And that's what Tennessee fans, <laughs> excuse me, are caught up in right now. And, and that's a I mean, they could wind up ending the season with eight consecutive losses. It's it, it, at best probably three and seven is what Tennessee is looking at. I can't imagine a scenario where they don't get blown out by Florida this Saturday, just to put a bow on this whole thing. And I think he could get. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not discounting him getting fired because number one. You know, you got Philip Fulmer and Hugh Freeze involved with this with this mess here, okay? Right. And so, and made it sound like he would like the job. Like that. Well, he grew job. up. He, he coached in West Tennessee. There's that whole lovingly heartfelt story about how on his honeymoon he went to Neyland Stadium. And if you think about it, if if you're if you're kind of in the Memphis area, the, 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 there's some Arkansas people and some Mississippi State people and some Bama people. But it's really the, there's two teams there. Ole Miss and Tennessee. Um, and, and there's more Ole Miss because it's West Tennessee, but there's still Vols there. And so if you think about it, he kind of had his dream job with Ole Miss. Well, what's his second dream job? It's University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And he's a great fit. So you got that guy angling, you know, and you got Philip Fulmer. And if Jeremy Pruitt, and you got all their fans really fired up about the prospect of Hugh Freeze coming. And if Jeremy Pruitt loses to Todd Fitch's Vanderbilt Commodores, he is getting shanked by Freeze and Fuller. Mark it down. <laughs> they are going to boast. He's going to get the double shank and They'll be out. Come up with the money for the buyout. Oh, J- yeah. What, what's That's- his name? Jimmy Hyams or whoever is our, um, what, the, the guy that owns the Browns or whatever. Um, I don't remember his name off the top of my guy that owns the Cleveland Browns. That's the big Tennessee guy. He, he can write that check in his yeah, sleep. It'll be taken care of. Yeah. They're not going to sweat the buyout in Knoxville. I, I agree. With, I mean, I, part of me thinks that Pruitt deserves another year. 
Um, but there is de- things are definitely heating up over there because they're not just lose; they're losing by double digits. It's kind of the same. We, every game you expect Garantano to have a bad soul crushing turnover or two, and he does, and nothing changes. Um, so maybe that happens. All right, just to put a bow on the South Carolina situation. Go J- ahead, Jimmy Haslam. Haslam yeah. Haslam is a radio guy up there. Yeah. I get those two confused. Yeah. Jimmy well, Haslam. I think we've both been on Hyam's show. It's a, yeah, that's where that uh, Freudian slip came from. All right, so I'm going to do this real quick. If you ever watch PTI, they do like uh, heads on sticks. Um, I, I for those two, if you think it's Napier and Beamer, I will give you. Uh, the, I can make a case for or against either one of them. It's kind of like, you don't have Showtime, do you? They, they, they have this documentary now um, on Ronald Reagan. Oh, the Reagans. I've been watching it, Mike. Okay. You're so, shocked. I know. I know. So, well, yeah, I didn't know that you had Showtime because I know that you would love to watch this. You're like me. You're fascinated with particularly uh, contemporary history. Like I'm, I'm fascinated by anything after world war two. So you give me a, a four point documentary on any president. I've watched them on Clinton. Uh, I've, I've watched them on Bush. I've watched them on, I, I can't tell you how many things I've watched on Kennedy. So this was like music to my ears. Now, again, I don't get into politics. So I have, I have died in the wool democratic friends that will tell you they loved Reagan. Just like I have hardcore Republican conservative friends that will tell you they thought Kennedy was the best thing since sliced bread. So you can be objective. If you watch this thing on Reagan, while I do find it fascinating, it's a hatchet piece. Oh, there's There's nobody involved with the creation of it. The people that they interview, their sole purpose is to tell you anything good about Ronald Reagan is a myth. Uh, He wasn't really a good person. He didn't do anything good. The country suffered for eight years. Uh, Jimmy Carter was brilliant, but Ronald, you know, I mean, just uh, yeah, it's, a complete I, I noticed that, that yeah, and, and yeah. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, I say that again, not to get in the political realm, because I've seen similar stuff with other uh, documentaries as well. One way or another, you can slant it. Same thing goes with coaches. So, okay. Uh, ask me good and bad. Let's start with uh, Napier. G- give me your, uh, we'll do like a press conference here. Uh, and I will, I will be Billy Napier for this. I'll put the the, the stick head. I will, yeah. I will, uh, I will, uh, I will ask you. Okay, so does Bill Billy has got a southern accent, right? He's yeah, he's yeah, he's uh, yeah. From yeah. Chatsworth, Georgia, really, really southern. Uh, yeah, really, he's okay, really. I'm southern. going southern. Kind of sounds like Jeremy Pruitt a little bit. Okay. So, all right. So, Coach Napier, uh, what are your thoughts about taking the South Carolina program? to the next level, and how are you going to be different with your plan than Will Muschamp, who was there before you, uh, who also was a former Nick Saban assistant? Well, JC, that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> first off, lo- love your work on the uh, podcast with that Morgan fella. Uh, love your work on the Big Spur. Um, uh, respect the, the work that you do, and I appreciate you covering this, uh, this presser during these uh, uh, tough COVID times. Uh, you know, let's start with the facts first off. I mean, I don't mean to brag, but but I'm going to bowl games every year at Louisiana. I'm, I'm 19 and 10 with the Raging Cajuns. I, I put I put some enthusiasm in in Raging Cajun football. Uh, if you don't believe me, just ask Mark Hutspeth, who was my predecessor, who was 29 and 38 and, and put us on probation. Just ask Ricky Bussell, who was the coach. For eight, nine years before that, and he was 41 and 65. You don't even want to talk to me about Jerry Baldwin who came before him. The point is, I'm doing things here that haven't been done. 
Okay. I'm winning games. And I add on, on top of that, you know, I'm from Chatsworth, Georgia. Now, you probably don't know where that is, and I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to make you Google that and do some research because I know you like to do some homework. And I went to Furman. I'm a paladin, okay? I know a thing or two about South Carolina. I can recruit South Carolina. I know that state, see? And I want that job. I'm, I'm not coming off the failure of another job, and I'm not, I'm not looking at Tennessee, and I'm not looking at these other Power 5 jobs. I want South Carolina, and South Carolina fans should want me. Thank you. All right. So Shane Beamer, he, he doesn't have as big of an accent. He kind of kind of talks like his dad. Now, you, are you going to ask me about the negatives that people are saying about me first before you get to your your buddy there, Shane? <laughs> well, that that all right. So so what that, that that really was the negative. Like okay, well, so what do you plan to do on offense? Because you know it was a really good offense for the Sun Belt, but there are times this year you got. You know, you, you kind of got stifled a little bit, relied on defense and special teams. Uh, are you going to be dynamic enough on offense uh, in a special preparation for South Carolina, um, you know, to compete in the SEC East? Uh, well, dynamic's my middle name. Uh, it, it, it is the most overused adjective by, by announcers in college football today. Uh, but still, I, I, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Uh, and I don't know if you read my bio, but I was a – an all-conference quarterback at Furman. So needless to say, I like throwing the football. I'm going to bring an exciting brand over there uh, to South Carolina. I'm going to get SEC talent to run that offense. So if I can do this in the Sun Belt with the players I got right now, and I love them to death now. This is my family, so I'm not, I'm not talking about these guys like they're a bunch of ragtags. But, but, but let's face it now, they, you know, they're, they're not SEC. I don't have a shy Smith walking through that door, Okay. I, I don't have a, a, a Kevin Harris running the football, toting the rock for me. So I'm, I'm doing it with, with lesser parts, but we're still getting it done, and we're going to try to win yet another title and, and head to another bowl game. But I do want to address the pink elephant in the room, JC, and that's what everybody on message boards like you were probably saying. They're saying, hey, I wasn't even good enough for Dabo. I mean, he fired me. He fired me. And I can say a few things about Dabo Sweeney, I'm not going there. You know, it, it's – my mama taught me if you don't have something nice to say, you don't say it at all. So I'm just going to tell you this. Yeah, I got fired at Clemson, and, and it didn't work out. But then what did I do? I, I worked under Nick Saban. Back in 2011, I was an offensive analyst. I mean, I was analyzing stuff, okay? All right? And then I, later I was an assistant coach at Alabama. No longer an analyst. I was coaching wideouts there. Then I get the offensive coordinator job at Arizona State, and then the rest is history. I take the job here in 2018. So I, I know what the negative things people are going to say, and, 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 and maybe I'm not as uh, – uh, I don't have the same kind of sexy name that some guy like, uh, I don't know, that freeze guy or something. But I, I'll tell you what, uh, I've, I've made the most of all the opportunities, and I don't care uh, what Dabo says. Uh, I, I did good work at Clemson too. Can't argue with any of that. I was going to try to avoid the uh, you were fired at Clemson thing because I think that's just that was so long ago that um, I don't I don't know. But yeah, you're right. The people on the haters going to hate JC. Haters going to hate. do that. Okay, so thank you, Coach Napier. You're welcome. Appreciate um, it. And now for Coach Beaver, head on a stick. Um, so you've never been a head coach before or an offensive or defensive coordinator. Why are you qualified to be the head coach of the university of South Carolina? Hey God, first off, man, you guys are great. Um, JC always enjoy your work um, on the big spur and 
And uh, I love that that Morgan fellow you work with on uh, on the pot. What's his first name? Mike. 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 I was getting confused with uh, Mark, that old uh, CNN sports anchor. But no, you and Mike do a do a great job. Look, I, I understand the concerns out there. Um, there are some people that believe uh, only head coaches and coordinators should get head coaching jobs in the SEC. Um, anybody heard of Sam Pittman? I, I think you might have. He, he he could be the SEC coach of the year. He was an offensive line coach at Georgia, okay? And he's done a terrific job. And you take a look at my background. I, I've been an assistant coach at the likes of Oklahoma, Georgia, Virginia Tech, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Georgia Tech. And, oh, by the way, uh, you remember all those 11-win seasons at South Carolina? You remember those, J.C.? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that SEC championship game appearance in 2010? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was on that staff. Okay. Uh, I was coaching linebackers and special teams. I recruited a lot of those kids that were on those back-to-back-to-back 11-win teams. I know South Carolina football. I love South Carolina football. And even though my daddy's a legend at Vatech, I'm telling you right now, I would take the South Carolina job over the Virginia Tech job. And if you think that I'm just – not ready for this job. Well, why don't you ask former players? Why don't you ask Melvin Ingram? Why don't you ask Marcus Lattimore? Why don't you ask Connor Shaw? See what they say about me and whether or not I'm ready for this job. I think they'll agree that I am. I know that I am. I think deep down you know that I am. I'm ready to go to work in Columbia, and this is a job that I want. This is my destination job. I'm not settling. This is not a springboard. I'm not trying to get a raise from anybody else. This is the job I was born for, and I'm ready to go. Well, Coach Beamer, um, so right now at South Carolina, you're surrounded by the likes of Mac Brown, who's a Hall of Famer, Debo Swinney, who's a, Debo Swinney, who's a Hall of Famer, Kirby Smart, who could be a Hall of Famer, and has a top five program, as you well know. Uh, you also have a great recruiter at, at places like Georgia Tech with Jeff Collins. Dan Mullen come from Florida, comes into the state and gets guys, uh, even NC State, uh, has warded off South Carolina from North Carolina this year. How do you intend to recruit enough talent and go head-to-head with all of those neighboring schools and the likes of the SEC and the upper echelons of the ACC, you know, competing for a finite amount of talent? Um, you, know, uh, you know, how are you going to improve the roster uh, in a way that Will Muschamp, who recruited pretty well, uh, you know, could not do? Well, that's a great question again, and I appreciate you asking it. Uh, look, while so many of these guys have been – working on calling plays and spending extra time in film rooms and going to press conferences as head coaches. Uh, I've been out there recruiting. I've been one of the top recruiters around every place I've been. I've got connections in South Carolina. I've got connections in bordering States. I've made my reputation, not only as an assistant, but in the world of recruiting. And that's the lifeblood of any program. And it's certainly going to be the lifeblood of South Carolina. So I would tell you, And I would tell you emphatically, I know how to recruit and I know people that I can hire on this staff that they're no, they're going to know how to recruit and we're going to bring talent back to South Carolina. There's already some there, but it's not quite what it was when I was coaching. It wasn't quite what it was when I left back in 2011 and all those young men were putting together 11 win seasons. So I, we, we need to get it back to that point and I think we can do it. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Morgan, 
as Billy Napier and Shane Beamer. That was that was the Emmy Oscar award winning. You even got the voices almost. I mean, really to have. I don't. You probably hadn't heard a whole lot of Billy Napier and Shane Beamer over the years, but well, uh, that, that was very close. Very close. Thank you. I, you know, I wanted to at least make sure that they were different. Um, I've heard <laughs> heard Billy Napier, and I haven't done one, when I the last time I did a Lafayette game, they played at Florida, and it was Hutspeth who was the coach. But I've heard him talk. Um, I played in a golf tournament with Shane Beamer years ago. Yeah. I think that's the last time I saw him. That was probably 12 years ago. So I uh, have an idea what those guys sound like a little bit. And um, that was almost spot on, really, just to, well, to do it off the cuff like that was true. Yeah. yeah. And, and hopefully we, we, we highlighted, again, what, all the, what everybody's saying about pros and cons. The point, again, to go back to the documentary analogy, you can make anybody sound good, and I can poke holes in any hire. You tell me any hire that's been made in the SEC over the last 10 years, and I can sit here and shred it and tell you why it was a bad hire. Uh, or I can just look at accolades and find positives. And that's what's going to happen. Whoever, whoever uh, South Carolina hires, there's going to be uh, uh, thousands of people on your message board that love it and are going to be pumped up. And there's going to be thousands that say, we should have hired the other guy. And that's and, 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 and that's that's sort of different at South Carolina because of the Holt Spurrier angle. You know, th- this is only the second like real coaching search they've had because those weren't real coaching searches. Mike, you were there when they hired those guys. There was one candidate. They went and got that candidate, and anyone else, you know, th- you you rarely even heard any backup names for, for those jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was a real search where they ended up with Muschamp that sort of went off the rails at the end when, you know, but that's life and it happens. Look, in, in the Southeastern Conference the last 10 years, Gene Chizik opened the decade with a national championship and Ed Orgeron <laughs> closed the decade with a national championship. So sometimes, you know, it, it, it's not so much about the head coach because, you know, Chizik had two really good coordinators and a great quarterback, probably the best one until – Ed Orgeron had two really good coordinators and a great quarterback. So I think no matter who you got, you can have, if you have a great quarterback and two good coordinators and enough talent, you know, you can win football games. Yeah. And when's the last time either one of those programs, Auburn and LSU didn't have really good talent. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, and I'm not saying Alabama Clemson elite talent for the way those two programs are running right now. But it's been decades since Auburn and LSU didn't already have really good talent. And then on those particular years, they had a Heisman Trophy candidate, uh, mm-hmm. excuse me, a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. Yeah. So and that's, and, that's and guys that could call a combination. and guys that ran, I mean, interesting offenses that were tough to stop, you know. Right. Uh, what LSU did was kind of cutting edge when Malzahn was the OC with Cam Newton at Auburn, cutting edge. Uh, Ted Roof and Dave Aranda were the DCs on those two teams, and and you know here's the, here's the Chiz who got fired two years later, and who knows us what's going to happen with Orgeron, you know, <laughs> you know like moving forward. But facsimile of what happened to Chiz. But, but you know that so people people do have to understand that it, it's been a Saban Dabo world. But the, and Urban Meyer, but, the, but then there have been these guys that have, you know, won it all and caught lightning in a bottle because they have good assistants. So that, that's the deal. But, well, I, I, you know, I think whoever gets the South Carolina job, you know, the staff needs to be pretty, you know, 
they need to hire some guys that can do some things different and, and recruit yeah. and all that good stuff. Well, and, and look, Spurrier learned that lesson. His first five years at Carolina, they were 35 and 28. Mm-hmm. 35 and 28, one and three in bowl games. There was criticism of the offense, was, was junior calling plays. Steve's brutal honesty rubbed a lot of fans the wrong way. It wasn't like a marriage made in heaven right off the bat. Obviously, it turned out great, but you had, you had a Hall of Fame coach. So it, it's, it's not like it was before, but I'll say this just to finally put the bow on this. Mm-hmm. I, I mentioned this at, at the top. Why Steve Spurrier's success and failure made South Carolina a somewhat less attractive. It's still attractive for obvious reasons. SEC, facilities, fans, money, all of the above. When Spurrier took that job, let's face it, nobody had great success there. Lou had two good years. It didn't end well with Lou. A lot of revisionist history out there. He had two Outback Bowl years. Then he was trying to look for the next Tony Rice and Dondrell Pinkins, and it fell flat. And they were struggling to win six games. Um, we don't need to go through Brad Scott and, uh, and all the other. But bottom line is, uh, Steve Spurrier looked at that job and said, I can do something that ne- never been done there before. And he did it. It took him ten and a half years, but he did it. Um, so that was that positive can also be looked at as a negative because by doing that, who wants to follow the legend? Who wants to follow the guy who just put some who just took South Carolina where it had never been before? Right? I mean, you know, what are the chances of another coach winning 33 games in three years at South Carolina? It'd be pretty damn hard to do that. So his success in some ways made it less attractive. And then his failures at the end, when that recruiting uh slide. Yeah, I mean, all those studs out of Rock Hill and, and the upstate, and when all that ran dry, all of a sudden, it, it didn't just, like, glide down. It took a nosedive, and Steve knew it and got the heck out of Dodge and left, quite frankly, a little bit of a mess for whoever took that job. Now, I think the job is better now in terms of where where it's been left from Will compared to where it was when Spurrier left because the recruiting had dropped off for a couple of years, uh, things, the attention to details certainly was not what it was. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, you walked into there and is where, where's Jadavian Clowney? Where's Stefan Gilmore? Where's Lattimore? Where's Jeffrey? I'm not seeing that here. <laughs> something's gone. Something's changed. So both of those things in some ways, again, coaches all know the deal. You can't hide it. Um, some of those things, some of those things made South Carolina perhaps, a less attractive job for the, for the premier names. But again, when I look at this list of names, I think they're going to come away one way or another with a winner, whether or not it works in four or five years, like everything else, it is a crapshoot. Um, all right. We already touched on Tennessee and Auburn. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. I know, I know we're already over time. The, the poll came out yesterday. This has become beyond anticlimactic. I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to get fever pitched over who's number five versus number six. We know who one through three is going to be the, the X factor of all X factors, of course, is going to be Ohio state. Mm. And, uh, Herbie got in some trouble because <laughs> <laughs> that Michigan could just suck the game. And I, and I'll say, and, and first off, um, that is a pros pro move to immediately jump on it apologize 
say that he has no proof that Michigan's doing that and, and just move on. And everybody should move on. Everybody makes a mistake. Herbie is one of the best at what he does. Uh, if he could have that back, he would. However, you talk to coaches, there is no doubt in anybody's mind that there are some coaches who have taken advantage of COVID. And by that, I mean they know that they're about to lose a game and get a good old-fashioned you-know-what whooping, and they have managed to find a way to skip the game because of COVID. And as I've pointed out, you know, like for a couple weeks ago when I had the Missouri-South Carolina game, people were wondering if that was going to be played. As Eli Drinkwitz told me, this whole notion that you have to have 53 players is false. That is the threshold where you can declare that you, you can't play. But if you've got enough quarterbacks, offensive linemen, and D linemen, you can still go out there and compete. Missouri did it, and they won the game. And then they did it a week later, and they won that game. There's other teams that have, that have been below 53 that have played a game. Then there are some teams that have found a way to get the numbers to where they don't play. Uh, where they've just decided to opt out of the game. So I know what, what Herbie was trying to say, but when you're an Ohio State guy and you're talking about Michigan intentionally ducking out of that game, you can imagine the firestorm that ensued. Yeah, it would be like me talking about Clemson, uh, you know, or something like that. You, you know, you, you, everybody's from somewhere, you know, in college football, and that wouldn't, you know – that wouldn't have been, you know, it probably wouldn't have been as bad had he not been talking about Michigan. And, and if you look at it, if you look at his career, and I, and I, I think the world of him, I think he's the best at what he does. You know, there was that time he reported Les Miles is going to take the Michigan job too. So, so it's it's kind of bad that when he steps in it or has something that you know was correct that turns out not to be, and has to do it, it has to do with Michigan. And I know that's a very, very passionate rivalry. Um, and look, I, I have no doubt there's some schools that are just bagging it right now. Um, and that's unfortunate because here was the whole spirit of this when we started this was, you know, you don't always get an opportunity to play football. And I've said this many times, and I use the example of, you know, you when, when you, you play, you can still play basketball, you know, at your age and you play golf all your life and all that. You can't play football. So, Every time you step on the field to actually play the game, special, and you should always want to, you know, just because that's, you know, that's important. I think there's a lot of uh, fear, and a lot of it goes back to recruiting and the world we live in, uh, and the perception that sort of drives the sport is, well, you know, like Florida State and Clemson, and and I don't, I'm not getting into the debate over that because that's obviously a, a point of contention as well. But let's just say. Florida State conveniently decided they couldn't play, and Dabo's right. Well, you know, you're Florida State. You're trying to catch Clemson. Your chances of victory with, with the locker room you've got this year and the problems you've had this year, very slim to none. You're probably going to get your brains beat in, to be honest. But if you don't play it, it never happened. And and, and people can't beat you up in recruiting going, this is how bad they suck. And um, – so I think there's a little bit of that playing into it too, and and I, and I kind of way has the same feeling right now as Dabo. Yeah. Not Dabo. yeah, I appreciate guys like Eli Drinkwitz and, and and you know Mike Bobo with the South Carolina game, and 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 quite frankly Derek Mason, who you know there were a lot of games Vanderbilt was very shorthanded. I mean, and he went out and they went out and played, and they may get beat forty-one nothing, but doggone it, they got the game in. Uh, you know, same thing at South Carolina, same thing at Missouri. Uh, and, and then there's these, you know, like I, it, it shocked me none 
that one of the first games to get postponed was the LSU-Florida game because those two schools, like, don't want to play each other anyway all the time. Yeah, if, you, if you think about it, they're pissed off because in 1992, <coughs> when LSU was bad and Florida was rolling, it made sense to play, right? Now, oh, well, we'd rather play it, and, and the SEC won't get them out of it. So it, it shocked me none that those two schools were like, oh, we're not playing because we had the hurricane situation a couple of years ago and all this crap with those two schools. So, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me any of it. But, but what's going to – the, the playoff is what, what's going to get impacted by this, though. Well, but, but I mean, you, you kind of uh, broached on it, broached it without actually addressing it, and that is what the ACC is doing. So, I mean, Florida still is playing LSU. Like, the SEC is going to – they're still attempting to get every game in. Mm-hmm. That's, that's from Greg Sankey. That was his goal all along, and he can still accomplish it. And if he does, he ought to win the equivalent of – the college football Nobel Peace Prize for crying out. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you look at the disaster, the leadership of the Big Ten, and now the ACC is basically saying, Notre Dame, you don't have to play Wake Forest. Clemson, you don't have to play Florida State. Take a week off and get ready for the ACC championship game. I I mean, I don't know. Does that not rub a lot of people the wrong way just from a competitive standpoint? I, I would say so. I, I, I would, too. yeah. I would be rubbed the wrong way, definitely. I mean, John Swafford is in his his last year. This is his last go around. I think he made a smart move by by getting Notre Dame as a rental, even though I don't think Notre Dame's ever joining the league full time in football. Um, John Swafford's done a lot of great things over his career. Uh, this move surprised me, quite frankly, to just punt on two games. By the way, Wake Forest is no joke. But you, you, Notre Dame barely beat Louisville. What was the score of that game? Like 12, 12 to seven. seven yeah. Uh, I, I had Wake Forest early. They got a, they got a legit NFL caliber quarterback. They've got a first round draft pick on their defensive line. Uh, that's not a gimme. Like it's the same people that are assuming Ohio state would, would automatically run the game. I mean, you have to play, you have to play a certain amount of games uh, because every game in college football, we've seen it all the time. As predictable as things have been at the top, one thing that hasn't stopped, we always have upsets at the tail end of the season that nobody saw coming. Nobody. And so to to not to, to just punt on those games and say, well, we kind of assume that Clemson would have won anyway, and they probably would. Uh, Notre Dame probably would have won anyway. I'm not quite as convinced, but yeah, I think Wake could have made a game out of that, quite frankly. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, that just that seems a little uh, a little bit odd to me. And, and to, to circle back to Ohio State, if you don't get those two games in, if you're on the if you're on the 13 person committee and you've got a five and zero Ohio State team, I get it. You're one of the four most talented teams in college football. But how in the hell do you take a five a team that played five games over another team that might be ten and zero or eleven and one? I don't know if I could justify that. And it sucks, but I'm telling you this, they did it to themselves in the Big Ten because, you know, Ohio State hadn't necessarily had, you know, the issues. They've been canceled on by some teams. Right. And 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 the Pac-12 said that after they started out and it was shaky, they are like, look, uh, we're probably not going to get all these games in. You guys go schedule whoever you want. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll just kind of figure it out, right? 
Um, and that actually BYU was like, yes, yes, please come play. Um, with the Big Ten, they're like, no. You know, they shot everybody down. You know, Nebraska wanted to play Chattanooga, whatever. They shot everybody down. And now they, they're kind of a, a pickle, quite frankly, because I don't think, Mike, that, that it is fair to have a, a – you know, no matter how – and look, in my opinion, Ohio State is one of the four best teams in the country, top to bottom. They're really, really good. But, you know, you get to the point where, well, who deserves it? You know, a Texas A&M team that could play all 10, all SEC games and get through it with only a loss to Bama uh, or Ohio State who's, you know, who, who beats, you know, who, whose biggest wins Indiana uh, by seven points. And, and, and nothing against Indiana. They're there, but, but they've only played five. And then you get in the situation where even if you say, yes, Ohio State deserves to be in, is there a, comp- a competitive disadvantage? Because one team – has played five games and one team has played 10 or 11. And is that fair to have the team that's probably not dealing with as many injuries or anything like that, that's fresher head into the playoff and, and, and play a team that's been beat up all year. You know, I mean, is that, I think it is fair, you know, and, and that's something they have to think about. Well, look, I, I know we have some big 10 fans that listen. Yeah. Uh, I've said this repeatedly. We, we are not homers of any particular conference. It, I mean, just, we both have allegiances to the SEC. I, I work a large part of the games I work for the SEC network. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, yes, I'm an SEC guy in a lot of ways. I also love college football as a whole. And I think it'd be better for the sport if we had more national geographic representation. For example, the Pac-12, Oregon is done. Pac-12 is done. I think the Pac-12 being relevant again would be nice. The Big 12, the Southwestern Conference just had its 25-year anniversary of being ended. If you remember at that time, because I remember there was a, a national talk show host by the name of Kevin Wall on one-on-one sports network, and he was not alone. He was a Midwestern guy and a Big 12, a Big 10 Southwestern, excuse me, Big before it was the Big 12, he was a Southwestern Conference guy, that's what I'm trying to say. And he was on national radio saying, Party's over. Big 12 is going to be the premier conference in college football. Sorry, mm-hmm. Big Ten. Sorry, SEC. Uh, not so much. Big 12 yeah. is not, not anything close to that. Uh, they're likely going to be out. Pac-12 is out. If Ohio State can't get their games in, they're likely out. And I don't celebrate any of those things. But what I wish we were going to have, if that's going to be the case, somehow, some way, Cincinnati, BYU, make the phone calls, play a, a, a de facto play-in game without a guarantee of getting into the playoff, but obviously the loser's out and the winner has a chance to come in, and then there's a, still a chance that we could have two SEC, two ACC. That might not be good for the sport, but that might be the fairest four teams that you're going to get in 2020. Yeah, I'm with you right there. I think uh, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, and, and it's, you know we, we said when we started this year, though, Mike, nothing about this season is necessarily going to be fair. So um, I, I, I do think that, you know, if it's two ACC, two SEC, that may not be fair because, you know, other schools couldn't play enough games because of COVID. But, but, but I think that you do have to be, you know, you have to have competitive balance. And, and you can't have a team that – only had to win five games, you know, go up against a team that had to win 10 or 11 or 12 to get in. 
um, yeah. in my opinion. And, and trust me, I would say the same thing if it was Alabama. Yeah, me too. It was Clemson. This is not regional bias or any other bias. I mean, it, it's just to me, it's it's common sense. And I think our Big Ten fans out there know that their you know leadership screwed the pooch on the whole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Trust I mean, me. I think we're not we're not coming down on your team. I, mean, I no. think I think Ohio State, if they get in, could win the thing. And I, and I think sure. you know Barry Alvarez today said something about how they may you know, mess with the schedule the last week so Ohio State could get it in. And if they do that and, you know, prop them up, is that completely fair? No, it's, but it's fine with me. I mean, I, you know, and I, and I think Ohio State, if they get in, it could win it. But um, I just don't think if they can't qualify for the Big Ten title game that, that you can let them in with like four or five wins. Send your complaints on high if there is a referendum from Big Ten fans on Kevin Warren. Mr. I think Kevin Warren. Yeah, that 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 didn't play out uh, particularly well. We'll see how it goes. I know how one thing will play uh, out particularly well, and that is uh, a great time to go ahead and get a new mortgage, get a refi, whatever the case may be. And if you're looking to do so, uh, sometimes you might think you know somebody or you hear about something or something's advertised. I'm just telling you, make this phone call and you will not be disappointed. Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage, the lowest rate around. That's why I've used him for nearly 20 years on four different mortgages or refis because simply no one can match him. I'm I'm loyal, but not that loyal. If there was somebody else that could save me money and get me a better rate, that's who I'd go with. Stuart Wingo is going to get you the best rate and is going to save you literally thousands of dollars. 803-319-1777. 803-319-1777. No matter what state you're listening to, uh, listening to us in, he's certified and ready to take care of all your mortgage needs. JC, closing thoughts. Ah, uh, well, looking forward to uh, you know, this weekend coaching searches at South Carolina. And, you know, after this weekend, some of these schools end up uh, their season, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, if something happens, if we have another gauntlet to fall uh, and all that. So I'm just looking forward to, you know, just blessed to have another weekend of football. And uh, uh, looks like we're going to probably have football through the championship weekend and then start the bowls the next week. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, kind of what happens. And, and also, you know, we've been talking about South Carolina. If South Carolina beats Kentucky <laughs> – they're probably going to go to a bowl game this year. <laughs> um, apparently these bowls, right. They have these tie-ins with the leagues and because there's no minimum requirement, like the sec has like, I think 13 bowl tie-ins, they're going to send all 13 teams to bowls. Devil be damned. So um, South Carolina, you know, the Las Vegas bowl is canceled, but South Carolina, Kentucky fans, Tennessee fans, you're still going bowling, baby. It's Gasparilla probably the, the Gasparilla, the Birmingham, you know, yeah. all the, all those outstanding uh, places uh, that are tied in with the SEC. You're probably going to get, um, probably going to get, uh, you know, I don't even know if they'll let fans in, but the, the, the players will be playing yeah. uh, because you know, of content and stuff like that. And, the, and Hey, that's, that's fine with me. Well, the one advantage of a bowl game, I know a lot of people say, like, what the hell can we just end? If, if you're having a bad year, you know, if you're yeah. a three-win team, what's the point? The point is the practice time. Yeah. And th- that's the point. And, and, and this year, more than ever, that could be beneficial because the biggest thing that has hindered every team this year in college football, and it's shown on the field, 
is the lack of practice in the fall guys having to miss 10 practices, 15 practices, no spring ball. There's a lot of young men out there on division one scholarships that could use some extra practice. So I don't care if there's nobody in the stands and nobody's watching. We're having bowl games drop. We just lost the sun bowl for the first time in like a hundred years. Um, if you can get in one of those things, do it because it, it can only help. Now you're going to have <laughs> a lot of opt outs. Be ready for that. But for the kids that are invested in coming back to your program the next year, it could only be beneficial. Beneficial to catch us each and every week on JC and Morgan. I certainly thank all of you for tuning in this time. We went a little bit over. That's just more good to give. That's just, that's all that is. Uh, my apologies ahead of time to uh, all the coaches that I impersonated. <laughs> Hopefully my voice was not too far off from yours. We wish you all the very best in the coaching ranks. Maybe we'll do a uh, coach on sticks version next week for Vanderbilt, or who knows, maybe there'll be another opening in the SCC at this point. Anything is possible. JC, anything else you want to say before we sign off on this award-winning podcast? Everybody go to, uh, you know, and I'm going to simulcast this thing uh, on my Gamecocks podcast. Since we talked about the Gamecocks so much. Uh, if you're listening to this for the first time, because you're a listener to my Gamecocks podcast, Go to iTunes and uh, click on JC and Morgan to get this every single week. Hit the subscriber button. Also, rate us five stars. Talk nice about us and all that, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll be your friend. We'll be your friend. Maybe <laughs> I'll buy you an extra tie when you get a Brent Skinner suit. Exactly. Uh, or maybe maybe Stuart Wingo will take another uh, an extra. 10th percent off the uh of the mortgage rate and <laughs> that would actually be a very generous gift for sure uh in all seriousness uh, we really appreciate uh, you folks no matter where you're listening to us uh from no matter what your favorite team is uh this thing has grown over the years i think this is number 126 that we've done all time and we enjoy doing it and uh, appreciate you folks that enjoy listening to it for jc it's mike we'll see you next week so long Mm, okay, hang on. That's <laughs> so much for keeping it tight. Yeah, that was crazy. Hang on, this is stupid. I don't know what the hell. There you are. Okay. okay. Rob, I, I got to cut off the end because I'm. <laughs>